We're back. Thank you for tuning into the Glittercast and for having patience with me while I took a little bit of a breather. I just needed some time off while we wrapped up 2020. So I have for you today a very special guest. Her name is Sean Engel. She is the author of the blog, Witchy Wisdoms. She also has a very successful Instagram with the handle at Witchy Wisdoms. We talk about all, we cover a really, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. So please enjoy. Welcome to the Glittercast. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you on the show just because we were kind of talking about this a little bit before I hit record, but you make these like weird Instagram friends that you sort of like don't actually have conversations with, but they feel like friends. So now we get to have a conversation. Exactly. I am that's the power of social media. <laughs> yes. And you do a lot of work through social media and you kind of help other people build up their business as well, correct? Yes, I, I definitely do. I'm curious. I'm sort of curious about your origin story and like how you got to where you are now. Ooh, okay. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll lead. <laughs> it's a fun one. Yeah. Well, and I guess I'll lead with the fact that I am a sun, moon, rising Scorpio. So my origin story is quite a bit of transformation. Right. Um, isn't your birthday on <laughs> Halloween? No, it's the 29th, but okay. very close. Okay. Yeah. I'm the, I'm November 3rd, but my due date was Halloween. I don't know why I thought yours was Halloween. You guys just have that vibe, my- I guess. <laughs> Uh, well, it's so funny because my due date was Halloween as well. And I've always like since the since I was born have made my birthday and Halloween a conjoined holiday. So yes, um, that checks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you just forced it. It is my birthday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I choose it. And so it is. Yes. Um, but my my origin story kind of happened, I would say, admittedly later in life, Um as far as like what witchy wisdoms looks like now. But um, as a kid, as a teen, I was always pretty, um, pretty witchy, pretty spooky. Like I said, Halloween was always my birthday. Um, And so mysticism was always a part of my life. And uh, growing up, I had really rad parents who basically let me carve my own path in terms of religion. Uh, My mom is a Polish Jew. My father is a German Catholic. Um, yet both are punk rockers and we're like, we're not subscribing to our religion, but if you want to go to temple or church or whatever, um, and both me and my sister were just like, "Mm, nah, she was like, I don't want to do any of that. And I was like, I want to be a witch. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so that's kind of, um, how mysticism got in there. But from the age of 13 to honestly, not all that long ago, uh, I developed, well, and still now. I developed uh, depression and anxiety, which I was to carry through, you know, till present day. But in order to self-medicate, I was doing lots of drugs. I was partying a lot. And from a very, very young age, and just kind of like trying to fill in those gaps. And mysticism just fell to the wayside. Um, this is all and sounding it wasn't very, in, Yeah, this is all sounding very familiar yeah. to me. Like, I understand this path. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And that, I think that's why my, my social media account works so well, is because a lot of people are like, yup, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that. Um, so fast forward to when I moved to New York, um, because I think when you're young and figuring your things out, you think that your environment is the cause of all of your problems. Um, and then, you know, you delve more into mysticism, self-help, and you're like, oh, it's me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I moved from Los Angeles to New York uh, almost eight years ago now, which is kind of wild. Um, and, you know, more of the same kept happening, trying to substitute any kind of um, therapy or uh, self-help or medication or treatment with drugs and boys, right. kind of how it was. I feel like that's so, really common for people who are psychically sensitive or empathic. Like we don't, if we don't have the tools to in like process what we're picking up on that doesn't 
necessarily belong to us on top of what does belong to us. Drugs is a really easy way to turn off your psychic ability, I think. Oh, absolutely. And as a very heavy water sign person, like I feel so much. Yeah. And so the numbing out or even the tapping in sometimes because, you know, alcohol is a depressant. So drinking at length and then crying all night was sometimes at least healing for me, that version of me. Yeah. Um, so it, it all kind of shifted and evolved. But really what the climax of my origin story was when I met my very infamous ex who was hiding a heroin addiction for me through our year and a half long relationship and didn't tell me about it until I put all of my money down to move in together. And I, I don't know. I mean, part of it was me being naive. Right. Part of it was a lot of boundaries. Like there were, there were so many things on my end that brought me to that point. Um, but when I found my strength and decided that that version of me was no longer working and I got into therapy, mysticism came back. It was the, it was the most comfortable avenue for me to work in my own self-discovery right. with picking up a tarot deck. Yeah, exactly. It just, that was always part of me. So the way I started Witchy Wisdoms was marrying the tarot with things I was learning in therapy. So I would pull these cards and be like, boundaries, okay, how do we break this down? And so really, the origin of Witchy Wisdoms is taking all of that transformation of pain and just putting it into practice. When you were starting to make the blog and started to create content, did you think that it would even get as big as it had? Because you have a significant following. You do. Like, were you even thinking in those terms or were you just trying to have an outlet? Honestly, I was trying to have an outlet. It was just something that was meant to be cathartic for me. And I, I want to say I was listening to some life coaches podcast, honestly, and was like, that is like the goal eventually. But I never thought it was going to work out the way that it did. I was just like, okay, well, we'll start here. Yeah. Um, and then things just kind of snowballed. Probably because you were following your path and that's when opportunity kind of comes. Well, yeah, that it, it was following my path and following my path so authentically and vulnerably. Because yeah. when people read the blog or they read the Instagram posts that were to go with the blog, people resonated with that. Um, because I wasn't hiding anything anymore. I really had nothing to hide anymore. I was stripped bare naked. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that was it. I'm curious how, when you are that vulnerable, because I definitely understand that. That's sort of what I've done with my first podcast project. And I've always been really open about the fact that I had a heroin addiction. And for the most part, I have a pretty tough skin. Like, I know if I put something out there, like, it's out there. And for the most part, I think people want to be nice and want to be kind and want to be healing. But I've had people like make comments like, Oh, I bet she's on heroin again because this other project she had fell apart. So I just assumed she started doing like doing drugs again. And I was like, damn, that's fucking cold. How do you deal with stuff mm -hmm. like that? If it comes up for you? Oh, that is really ruthless. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say I wouldn't feel hurt by that because we are people on the other side of the screen. And like, of course that is not the reaction you want, but the way that I deal with it is like, it's a long time of processing. You know how that one hurtful comment can stick with you for like a week. Yeah. Um, it can. And so what I usually do with it is I, I, you know, I look at it and I realize that this is a person in pain. They're clearly projecting. Yeah. Um, and, and then sometimes I need a little extra support and I look back at all the positive comments I've got. So it's just like, you know, you're sharing this story with so powerful to so many people. And, you know, there's, there's this one asshole. There's always going to be this one asshole. But yeah. you're, the, the overall message was so felt and heard by so many people. I it's it's really hard. The internet's a scary place, especially because people can hide behind that screen and troll. Yeah. But I think following that, like the overarching message of what you were initially trying to share, that's it's far more powerful than any of those little comments. Right. So I know that you sort of you started building, you started building your brand, you started building your blog and your Instagram, did those things come at the same time, the blog and the Instagram or did one follow the other? Blog came first. Um, and it was kind of, I did a writing challenge. I was like, I'm going to write every single day for the next month. Cause again, I like, I dove head first 
And this again might be a Scorpio trait because of the. That's very Scorpio. Yeah. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all in. So I was like, obsessed over it. Like, (laughs) absolutely. I was like, all right, I'm going to be in therapy twice a week. I'm going to Al Anon. I'm going to write this blog. I'm like, I am in it. Um, So that was my process. And then I was like, you know what? Instagram, because I honestly never before this my platform with you wisdoms was I into uh social media I like barely used Facebook barely used Instagram um all my photos were grainy I was never like a a a person that really enjoyed it um but I was like people are effectively using this platform so I saw it as like a means to an end and now it's just totally evolved into like my favorite thing oh my gosh you make the best almost like TikTok type videos that you post. I probably yeah. on both, I assume. But I love that the comedy comes out like in, in your videos that you have like a little bit of a comedic aspect to your healing work because I think that's a huge thing that's missing in this industry is comedy. Yes. yes. It's and it's honestly it's so fun that my brand gets to be all of me. Like it can be goofy, it can be serious and vulnerable, it can be helpful and educational. Um, but the real and the TikToks are so fun to make. And it's just, and that's another version of that vulnerable side, right? Like I get to be very, very goofy. And I think people find me more approachable that way as well. Right. I think people are attracted to authenticity more than anything else. You know, the people who, yep. you know, are seeking that themselves. And that's kind of the people that you want anyway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm very much who, who I am and very loud about it. Mm-hmm. which has, <laughs> but it served me well, you know, like I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get Trumpies on my page. I'm, I'm happy uh, with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. Um, I wanted to ask because I always get really jealous of my friends who decide they're going to take a month off of Instagram because I can't do that. My business is ran through Instagram and right. I'm curious, you know, how do you, when you, cause when you get social media burnout, how do you sort of push through and make yourself do it anyway? Well, I, so 2020 was a really interesting year in terms of managing my depression. It's the first year I got on meds and uh, even up until now, cause I got an IUD put in the depression aspect has just been so difficult to work with. So right. the pushing through the, the burnout has not served me for the last like, few months but I am staying really really visible and the secret to that is and what I tell all my clients is you got to batch content I think I work maybe like five hours a week maybe mm-hmm. and on Tuesday I make I just I write out all my copy I make all my content and then whenever they'll all post like maybe six times a week I think it is and I wake up send out the post and I just like don't touch it and I can get into my stories and you know repost things as I feel called to but once the grid is set and I have like TikToks and I have reels in the backlog to where I can be like a mush in my bed just dying from depression it's just like that that is the way that it's really worked for me and really been able to conserve my energy that makes so much sense because I do see how much fresh content you I you you put out fresh content all the time and I remember like a week or so ago, I was like, is this all she does all day? Like, does she just like put on different wigs? I was like, what's up? I was like, she's always on top of it. And now it makes sense. It's just one day that you work really hard and you, you sort of have it planned. And so it's more of a production than like sitting around on your phone. Totally. And like, so, you know, during COVID I have just like, I've, I'm in my pajamas all day and I just don't wear makeup and I hate wearing makeup now because it just feels like more things that like you know there's a time and a place but I'm just yeah. I don't want to wear it in my house I am comfortable so yeah. on the rare occasions that I am going out or like I'll have one day where I film and I put on makeup I'm batching 10 videos nice and then the next time I batch another 10 like right now I have like 20 drafts in my TikTok good for you because I just do that on occasion yeah and then I can just like throw them out whenever um, but I only do it when I feel like inspired to or want to, um, cause I really like fucking around on the app. Like, let's be real. It, it is really fun for me yeah. uh, to like put on all these wigs, but, yeah. but sometimes it's not there. And like, I, I have a lot of clients that are like, well, I just want to like do this 
like for that, like I want to feel inspired and like post when I'm inspired. And I'm like, that's great. I think you should write when you're inspired. And I think you should batch all of that and keep it so you can keep putting out content when you're not inspired. Because waiting for inspiration to strike in a very energetically heavy two years or whatever, it doesn't really work for a business model. That's so true. That's so very true. Do you ever do you ever feel that you have to sort of work towards your inspiration? Do you have any sort of like witchy things that you do to try to like make creativity come out if you are feeling a creative block? Mm, not, I mean, just aside from meditation, because usually what it is is just overtiredness. Mm-hmm. So I, if I tap back into myself, it's a little bit easier. Um, I'm really into the whole uh, magic in the mundane thing. Love it. That's, I'm, I'm a simple person in my craft. Um, so I've been taking really, really long walks and listening to audiobooks nice. and different podcasts. And so, you know, someone will say something and I'm like, that is a great thing to expand on. And then I just have a note section in my phone that's littered with just like random ideas that if I'm finding like a creative block, I just reach for that. Um, But yeah, just really simple stuff. Like I I meditate in the bath a lot, like just sheer quiet. Sometimes I'll just sit in the bath and be like, what's coming to me? Um, But the, you know, the witchiest way I look for inspiration now, it's, it's rest. Like it's, the beginning of my business was so go, 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 go. Like there's nothing you can't conquer. And then this new chapter is just like, how can you preserve your energy? Right. Yeah. Do you feel like when you're making these funny videos and you're having these like, um, I don't know, just like these creative moments in your head that sometimes it's a collaboration with the other side, especially if you're like having a meditation session in the bathtub, do you feel like sometimes your guides or the other side are kind of like co-writing with you? Actually, it's so funny that you say that because I was just thinking today about like how I just get these downloads for jokes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I definitely have, I have some funny guides in my corner. (laughs) Yeah. No, me too. There have been times where I've been like having that internal dialogue and I've just laughed out loud at nothing, but it's because like I had a funny like thought pop into my head and I'm like, you look like a psychopath. Like... (laughs) I love that but it's like it's your little it's your writer's room on the astral yes that's so true now I want to like construct an astral plane like office where and really have like a writer's room oh my god I love it that's I that's that's like the perfect picture I have in my head (laughs) I'm curious how because I know that you do a lot of you do a lot of like business coaching and life coaching right Mm -hmm. so how did you how did that come to be? Did it start out as tarot readings? How did that sort of become an avenue for your career? So after Witchy Wisdom's the blog and Instagram page started gaining some traction, I was like, okay, I'm far enough along in my journey that I could reach a hand back and be like, whoever is in the shit that I was, I can totally show you how to climb out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I got a life coaching certification I worked with a coach and was like, I'm going to start life coaching. And, you know, at first it was just like, I would do free, um, like free mentorships and just like really starting to build and getting experience. Uh, I always used tarot in my practice as well. I just more, more so for uh, the other, for the client self-awareness because I would like marry it back into like a tangible reality um, because I know there were a lot of people um, in life coaching that either want the answers too quickly from divination and tarot. So it can be like a touchy thing to bring in right. or are like, well, what is, how is this going to work for me? So it was just using that in a constructive life coaching sense was, it, it was interesting and had to be customizable for the person and how lenient they were. Um, but it really, the life coaching itself started before like the extra added like tarot services. Oh, um, got it. Yeah. It, because I was using magic in my life and I was reading tarot and doing tarot in my blog for me. It was very personal. And I feel like, and maybe again, that's my Scorpio, but I feel like magic is very personal and it always just felt sacred in that way. And because of my personal development that I was going through with magic, I just wanted to share a piece of that. 
So the life coaching definitely came before that. And then, you know, uh, that was a simple evolution into business coaching because I was like, okay, well, I have created a successful life coaching business. I want to show other mystics how to do it. Um, And it was a special niche to work with mystics because, you know, where we are creative and feel so much, we have so much empathy and there's a very, very big stigma with charging for our services. And I was like, this is definitely the niche I want to serve because I really want to uplift and empower mystical business owners. Like they need this support. Yeah, it is kind of a, it is kind of a weird thing though about like, you know, I, I very much have been able to release the like, should I be charging for this? Cause I, I look at it as a business, but that does exist where people almost have an attitude about charging for tarot readings or things like that, which I always think is kind of strange because if you look at a spiritual leader, like at a church or something, their congregation pays a tide and they make more yeah. than tarot readers. A lot of the times it's just a smaller amount from more people. Absolutely. And there's, well, I mean, I think that there's a lot to unpack, honestly, because there's, there's a, there's a sect of people that view magic as a parlor trick. Yeah. There are, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different um, tiers as to why that kind of exists. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, we're part of the like, which, which is of Instagram community. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the like spiritual leaders on that platform have spoken out in terms of like, Hey, no, my time and energy are valuable. So like everybody on Instagram kind of understands that there is a, there's a protocol, yeah. but peeling into TikTok, which was like a whole new younger subset of people. You get comments that are like, you should never charge for magic. You should never get up from 16 year olds. <laughs> And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, especially Who if you look, are you? Yeah. Well, also, like, if you if you look at the time that you spend or you invest into learning magic, you don't have a degree to show for it, but it's still time. It's still, like, also the energy that you put into learning how to do magic, which, I don't know, when I look, when I look at the fact that I've been doing astrology for four years, I'm like, yeah, that's a bachelor's degree. Like... <laughs> Yes, and it's such an incredibly dense system that you really have to, like, dedicate yourself to. And on top of it, the value that your clients get is amazing. You can give so much guidance that can be taken and applied to the real world. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, you're going to die on this day and fall in love on this day, so good luck. It's so much more than that that people just don't understand. Well, you know, when people, when psychics give predictions that it's like this specific day, this specific thing is going to happen, I always feel like that's a red flag. And I've had clients that it was like, I had a client who it was the first time I'd ever read for them. And they had a, you know, quote unquote, psychic tell them that they were going to move to New York. And while they were getting their hair done, they were going to meet a man who was wearing a gold chain And that was going to be her husband. And I was like, what the fuck? And she got mad at me that I wasn't giving her that level of detail. And I was like, you live in LA and you're unemployed. How is this going to happen? Like, like, let's look at point A to point B and how you can help yourself now. Not like the fantasy of whatever this is, you know? Well, and I think that's, that's the thing. Everybody wants that quick, easy fix of like, tell me everything that's going to happen to me with, and really divination is like, what energies are we working with in the here and the now? Yeah. How can we let you be your best self in the here and the now? And I think, yeah, people can get disappointed if they're like, well, what? Like, why, why aren't you telling me about my Prince Charming coming and rescuing me while I sit at home? Yes, I know. Because well, so much <laughs> about readings, too, is about gently calling people on their bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> gently mm-hmm. and lovingly and with compassion. But if people aren't ready to hear, like, where their evolution sort of needs to happen or what their patterns are, it can, that's where that I think a lot of that anger can come from too. So you, I feel like if you are going to get a reading, you really need to be prepared to hear whatever's going to come up and also do the work that, you know, follows whatever it is that you're seeking. Totally. And that's why I always get uh, my cards read when I am dating someone new. Because I always need to be called out and I will never do it myself. I can never give myself a love reading. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah, me either. (laughs) 
it's just impossible. Yeah. Well, and especially like, I don't know, I feel like when the stakes are really high on a situation to where I would want, like where I would feel like I needed a reading, it's almost like I'm too in my head anyway that I need to go outside myself. Like if it's a high stakes situation or if it's something that I'm super cerebrally or emotionally invested in, I think like I need someone else to help me straighten out that energy versus like me trying to decode, you know, what's going on. Absolutely. That's exactly how I feel too. And I think, I think that's, I think that's how most people feel, but I don't know that most people even have the language to understand that that's what they need in the moment. Um, and it's honestly why life coaching and business coaching is so valuable because it is basically you know, tarot or astrology, like having a reading is in the confines of that like hour, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever your offer is. But Mm -hmm. then life coaching and business coaching is like taking that just a step out and a step further. And for a longer period of time, it's like, okay, I gave you this reading, but now I'm going to keep you accountable to all of those things. Right. I was actually, that was one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about, because I imagine that for you as if you're coaching someone, there can be times where almost like you might get frustrated because you've told someone a bunch of times the same thing over and over again, and the change isn't necessarily happening, happening. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something that you encounter? And I don't want, and like, obviously the the most respect to your business and to your clients, but is that something that you've encountered? Um, Quite a few times uh, in, on different occasions, but, uh, I have, I mean, I offer a luxury service. My prices are luxury prices. Generally, people are serious yeah. when they pay me that amount of money. So that is one thing that helps me. But yeah. another thing is my brutal honesty because I'm like, <laughs> listen, you paid me to kind of kick your ass about this and you're the only one standing in your way. I can yell in your ear until they bleed, but nothing's going to change unless you put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, that's true. Do you do, do you have a screening process before you decide to take someone on or not take them on? Or are you pretty much like if someone's seeking the help, you'll, you'll give it to them? Um, it really depends. Like generally I can vet people pretty well. Um, like even through DMs, you can kind of tell if someone's just like emotionally dumping on you or, um, if they just seem really scattered, you can kind of be like, uh, maybe let's hop on the phone and just let me hear your voice first before yeah. I offer you something that maybe just isn't a good fit. Um, because there are people, and I, I'm the first one to tell them as a huge proponent of therapy and mental health care, that if you need a therapist, you're going to have to get one first. Life coaching yeah. isn't going to be that, you know, thing that you, that just fixes everything for you. Yeah, no, totally. Do you usually try, like, when you're taking on a new client, is it, there's a, there's like a set amount of time that you're supposed to work with each other? Like, how do you, how is the timing of your programs or is it just sort of like until they graduate or no longer need you? My, my standard package is two months because I generally feel like that's just a good time to get to know each other enough and like gauge enough, um, of just like how we're working together. Mm-hmm. And in business, it's a lot easier because that's, I'm generally giving strategy and then like pushing and like brainstorming in life coaching. It's, it's just far more gradual, you know, like I'm helping people unpack certain situations and boundaries and life is happening in tandem. So things pop up and then they'll need me more than other days. So it's that, that's a little bit more uh, ambiguous on that end, but generally two months is like, that's the bracket I'm going to give. And then we go month to month after that. Or um, like, for example, I have a mastermind going on right now that I just love. um, And that's a six month thing, um, which it's just, it's so cool to see these women just so committed. And yeah, it's really fun. Six months is a, that's a good amount of time. Yeah, I'm sure it's, I mean, I'm sure there's a fulfilling aspect to it that doesn't always exist for readers because you really get to see the transformation because when you're reading, you know, I do have clients that come back and I do have regulars, but it's also like there might be someone that I talk to that I never get to know the end of the story. So it's nice that you get to sort of see that success build. Yes, exactly. And like, I, I totally relate to that because you, you know, you're investing so much energy in that small amount of time where you're just like, like it's intimate and you, you hope the best for them and you see the best for them. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you get your regulars back here and there, but it's, 
watching watching people blossom through this journey is extremely rewarding. I'm curious when um when you do have cuz I'm sure there's an extreme level of emotional support that you provide in addition to like you said strategy and sort of like steps that people would take um if you have you know maybe this happens more in life coaching than in business coaching but I suppose it could happen in both but when you have a client who is having a day where they're really like needing you to hold space for them. If you're having a bad day, how do you like, how do you, it's sometimes hard to, you know, I'm speaking, you know, it's like hard for me to do a reading sometimes um, if I'm not feeling it, but I have the appointment. So I have to like, sort of like do a meditation and bring myself to show up. And I'm curious sort of like what, how that is for you. Yeah. um, I mean, that definitely, it definitely happens. You know, and sometimes, sometimes it's not super easy, but generally like I'll have weekly calls with my clients and I try to lump them together in a day. Um, but if I'm having a depressed day where I can't get out of bed, which is not often, then usually I'll just like talk to like my clients and move things around. But if it's, you know, an emergency thing and they're texting me through Voxer or something, I just kind of like, you know, I put my phone down. I feel like the smattering and just mask for a minute because at the end of the day I made a commitment to this client they they're paying me to hold space for them and it's it's really up to me to do that you know yeah so you kind of just step into like your business like your business brand and you're like you have to just like kind of honor the responsibility yeah I can pull it together for 10 minutes (laughs) you know I've done it my whole life so I just just putting putting aside my stuff when business hours are over and I put my phone down and will maybe sit in the bath and cry just because there was so much extra energy. But yeah, sometimes it looks like that. Do you feel like sometimes part of your job is taking on the people's overflow emotions and then you'd like almost like having that cry and releasing that energy is part of your job too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so weird, but having a personal brand and, you know, your business being so involved with your personality, it's like your, your whole life is your job. So yeah, sometimes crying in the tub is definitely part of, part of the job. (laughs) One of the things that I really admired about you and still do, but when it happened, I think it may, I, I don't know exactly when it was, but you posted a picture on your Instagram and it was like, it was a really well curated photo and your nails looked nice and it was a really um, aesthetically pleasing photo. And it was you holding a, it was like your hand in a bottle of antidepressants and you had this really honest sort of post about how you decided to go on antidepressants. And I'm curious if that was like a scary thing for you to do. And I love that you did it because I, I think that the stigma around depression or admitting you have depression is a problem. So whenever people are open about that I think it's like God's work in a lot of ways. Not that that's like a title they use, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I fully believe in destigmatizing medication. And as a person who was like really, really terrified to go on it because I thought I would just be like this huge zombie and I would never have the same drive because I was like, my anxiety drives me. And you know, all these things that we convince ourselves of, I was like, I would have loved to see this post. Yeah. And that's generally how I create my content is like, how, what, like, what, what would I have needed? Um, and yeah, it was really scary because also, you know, I mean, and I don't want to diss anyone, everybody in the, the spiritual community has their own beliefs, but when you get involved in like the anti-vax community and mm-hmm. the like, the, the big pharma conspiracy people, which, you know, I, I agree that big pharma has a lot of issues and that our healthcare system is totally screwed up. But you know, when a person is being vulnerable about like needing chemical help and you have anti-vaxxers or, or the the big pharma conspirators like pushing their agenda in your comment section, it's kind of like kicking someone while they're down. (laughs) So, so it was a little, I mean, it was scary and I did get a couple of those, but I'm very swift with block and delete. And I was like, all right, they don't get my content anymore. Goodbye. Yeah, no, I think that's like totally valid. I've, and I've done that too with people who are crazy. Not crazy, but like, you know, this page is positive. This is a positive place. We don't put each other down. Well, exactly. It's just like, okay, I mean, the you read this post. 
how how did you come to the conclusion that you needed to scold someone for doing something they thought was going to help them? <laughs> what? Yeah, well, I don't like that attitude in general where you feel like you need to police other people and sort of inflict your values on them. I don't like that at all. Like that's like to get away from that's kind of why I became a witch and why I got into this industry. So when I see it in the spiritual community, it's really like a little bit of like, why are you here? Like, yeah, well, I mean, and not even that it's that witchcraft has gotten mainstream, but it's definitely gotten more reach because of social media. But I think that there's, there've been a lot of hangers on that want to use the jargon and the aesthetics and don't really practice what it actually means to be a witch, which is, you know, a a very, very dedicated researcher who is a little bit of a dork (laughs) and that, that cares and has empathy and that looks at things critically and with scrutiny and is an activist and, you know, all of these very, very empowering things. Um, a lot of people just kind of stop at aesthetics yeah, and then kind of filter into the community. And I don't know, I've been seeing a lot of dangerous rhetoric lately and I'm just like, mm, I mean, people are people, people are messy. Yeah. There is a weird, there's kind of a weird crossover and this might be some of the dangerous rhetoric that you're referring to, but there's kind of a weird crossover between like the, the sort of witchy woo community and like far right extremists. I don't know. Yep. Have you noticed that's, that? That's exactly what I was. Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. So <laughs> that, that's right on the nose. And I, so I have to say that, and I've, I've been studying cults and true crime because I also have my podcast, True Crime Astrology. Yeah. So I've been studying cult ideology for a really long time. And what I see with far right extremists is a lack of reality. Like there's their, their feet are not on the ground. And so they kind of like grab at straws for things that will support their um, very kind of skewed vision of the world and how it works. And somehow that comes with mysticism. Somehow, somehow that's how it intersects. And like, you know, I, all of the witches that I know, maybe it's just because I have a small and awesome circle, but all of the witches I know are the most grounded people that I've ever met. They are grounded and very, very mentally capable. Right. And then you see the these far right extremists who talk about things like 5D and QAnon and yeah. use fear mongering in their language. And it's extremely dangerous. I just did a story and I put it in my story highlights on how that is infiltrating the spiritual community and how people really should be critical. Cause like, you know, you get these filters down from like these QAnon conspiracies and some of them sound like, Oh, that might be true. But then people stop there and say that they totally subscribe to it rather than realizing that QAnon started as this kind of 4chan riddle where someone who claimed to be part of Trump's cabinet, like put up this like, kind of cipher and you were supposed to decipher it because uh donald trump just predicted the end of days i'm like that is ridiculous yeah i didn't realize that was like the origin that's really insane i read i because i was like all right if i'm going to start calling out q and on conspirators and 5d people i need to know what the fuck i'm talking about because they are here and they're allowed Mm -hmm. so i read a lot Mm -hmm. and I read this very, actually, I can send it to you after this recording. It was really interesting. But I have read this whole huge comprehensive article on all of these QAnon, like, just how it started, how it evolved. Um, It kind of, it got into mainstream media with Alex Jones. And that kind of validated them. I know, right? And I'm like, guys, are you you checking your sources? Like, if Alex Jones is in your corner, I'm like, far-right extremists are in your corner. Like, are you in the right corner? Like, look look for a minute. Yes. upsetting. (laughs) Well, what's, what's so, okay. I mean, the pro like what's hard about conspiracy theories is that a lot of the time they are sort of put together by people who are, have high, have a high intelligence. And so they're able to make a lot of really sort of captivating arguments for whatever story they're trying to cook up. 
but it's like you mm-hmm. said, you got to do the, like, you have to check your sources and you have to sort of like step outside of the conspiracy and look for your proof. And not enough people do that. They just get sucked into this, like, I don't know, whatever. It's like a vortex. Well, it's true. They, they connect very compelling dots. And for a person who is lost and vulnerable and desperate for answers, that and, and it's all served up on a platter, that can seem extremely appealing. And a lot of the time, and I think this is where that crossover comes in as well, people reach to mysticism when they are feeling lost and desperate and searching for answers. Yeah, that's definitely true. I feel like, you know, I'm curious because you've done a lot of research on this and, and I feel like Trump has, you know, the Trump administration has in really subtle ways um, validated the QAnon sort of uh, conspiracy. I know that there was like this one, there's supposed to be like this thing where people who are in QAnon wear red shoes or something like that. And Melania Trump wore a lime green dress with red shoes and it just sort of like raised some eyebrows. Like, are they trying to quietly give validation to the conspiracy? Have you found anything like that? There have been, so it's, it's really interesting because uh, Trump has given subtle nods to the QAnon conspiracy, but I think, I think it's because one, he's very unintelligent and doesn't understand the repercussions of the things that he does. And I think yeah. he loves having fans and QAnon, are, they're his biggest fans. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, if, if those things definitely came up. They could also be coincidence, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was very well aware. Yeah. Um, but, but it is, it is perfectly cult behavior to have, you know, to give that little nod and that little bit of validation just to keep these people going enough. Because what would happen with the, the ciphers that the Q, the person that claimed to be in Trump's cabinet would talk about, none of the prophecies that he ever talked about came true. So something had to start validating the QAnon conspiracies, right? Yeah. And it, so for Melania to then wear those red shoes or for Trump to then say like, oh, the storm is coming. Like, it's just enough to read into. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, I, I always found conspiracy theories kind of fun, right? Like yeah. the reptilians. It's kind of like a fun thing. And now they're just harmful and scary and dangerous. No, that's <laughs> so true. That's so true. Cause I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Like I used to like, and it just seems like it happened in these last couple of years. Cause I used to have fun with it too. And I used to like, you know, kind of play with them a little bit, like the computer simulation theory, like stuff like that. Um, right. but it has, it has become really dangerous and it's, I don't know why it's becomes, I don't know. It's just really blown up under the Trump administration. Luckily he's gone now, but also not gone. You know, we're going to see more of him. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope he gets thrown in jail, to be honest. But the the reason why it got so dangerous under under him is because he incites violence and the people that follow him are violent. Yeah. Definitely. You know, like if it's a if it's a bunch of nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons talking about reptilians, you can generally like surmise <laughs> things are going to be fine. Like it's yeah. usually OK. Yeah. No. But no. then if you. Right. And then if you have the Proud Boys. Like it's a different story. Yeah, that was really bad. The the standby, the stand down and standby. That was really, really bad. Yeah. Well, and that's all it's been the entire four years is constant validation for very, very dangerous, extreme people. And then of course, you know, you have um the gradient scale of extremism or of even just the right wing. You have yeah, sure, the proud boys. But then you have these sneaky ones that get in here into the spiritual community under 5D and breaking down the matrix. You're all sheep if you believe in this and that. And it's framed as empowering. But really all it is is just like... Disconnecting. It, it's, it's providing an easy solution. It's not letting you do any of the work. It's not letting you like discover who you are or question authority while also like being grounded in reality. It's just like... It, that's where it gets scary is you lose yourself and then you also start to isolate. Right. Because you have, yeah, you have these like in, these ideas that you're very adamant about, but you can't really explain. And then everybody starts to be like, okay, well, we, we don't really want to talk to you anymore. And then you become isolated. And that's just how the kind of cult works 
together. Yeah, then they like band together even harder. And then that's when like the mob sort of starts. I, Absolutely. I saw an interview with the sort of like, I don't know, Viking looking guy that stormed the Capitol and he called himself a shaman, which I'm not a huge fan of when white people call themselves shamans because traditionally it's like a Native American thing or it's like, you know, they're different. It's not necessarily like usually a white culture thing, you know, so I don't know. Some <laughs> of that feels like appropriation to me. Um but he said like, oh, I'm a shaman and I have a higher vibration. And so I can see things that you guys can't. And the Trump administration is good. And like this election is being stolen and I can see it because I'm a vault. And I was just like, what is, and this is a perfect example of everything that we've just been talking about. He actually is like the, the archetype of what we're talking <laughs> about, like perfectly. And yeah, it's totally appropriation. It's like white asshole who wants to like, who's like Trump's right hand man in this uh, metaphor is going to steal the word shaman and then use it to like incite a terrorist attack like are you serious yeah yeah that's yeah it's so it's so bad and he's from phoenix he's from my hometown so i'm like just and you know his mom recently like made a news statement where he hasn't been able to eat anything because they won't give him organic food in jail and if he eats food that's not organic he gets a tummy ache basically like ridiculous like (laughs) the the audacity I know like I wow I don't I don't think I have words for that (laughs) (laughs) that's the correct response I think that's totally appropriate response (laughs) oh my god oh um yeah (laughs) I was gonna ask you because I know that through some of your posts and stuff you've talked about how you were bartending for a really long time while you were juggling sort of building witchy wisdoms. Is that, is that what you were doing when you very first moved to New York? Yes. Yes. I'd been, I'd been in the service industry since I was 13 years old. I was a bus girl. Yeah. I was a bus girl at this uh, pizza place. Actually, it's a cute story. My mom um, wouldn't buy me a Hello Kitty camera that I really wanted because, you know, Sanriel was like, it was everything back in the day. And I was like, fine, I'm going to buy it myself. So I walked, I walked down the street to this pizza place and I was like, give me a job. And they didn't hire me at first. And I called them like every day, like, you ready? Are we going to work together? Oh my God. And then finally, I finally broke them down. And so, yeah, I worked there for like seven years and then started bartending and then moved to New York. It was the only skill I had, even though I'd gone to college for business. Um, and yeah, I was doing, I was doing bartending up until what, like two, three years ago now. Yeah. I'm just like still kind of adorable, shocked by you being 13 and getting a job so you could buy a Hello Kitty camera. Yeah, that you- was, I was so motivated. It was, it was really cool. It had, um, it was a plastic insert. It was a little filter. So you put it in and then you could be like next to Hello Kitty. Like it was amazing. Did um did you have to get like special permission from your parents to work at that age? Um, no, I think what I remember going to my middle school and signing a worker's permit. I think was the the thing I had to do. Oh my gosh, so cute! When you moved, yeah, and they were like, "Fine, <laughs> just do it." Yeah, yeah. When you, I mean, you must have been like one of the coolest kids in middle school though, because you had your own job and your own money. Oh, I had some money. Yeah, that's why I was able to afford all the drugs I did. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I understand. <laughs> definitely cool. Definitely cool as good in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, me too. I got a job when I was a teenager and then I bought my own fake ID. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Probably do. When you moved to New York, what was the, sort of the motivation? Oh, I. I always got this question, even when I moved to New York, I still don't have a good answer. And I'm thinking the more that I think about it, it was just escapism. Um, but I had so <laughs> much trauma in LA and I just didn't like LA yeah. at all. Like I didn't, the vibe was not for me. Yeah. Um, I was always just like a fast paced, really ambitious person. And LA, I'm from Venice beach. Okay. Which is just the chillest place ever. And I was like, this isn't providing me this. And then I just couldn't wait to get out. Me and my parents had a very, very strange relationship at the time um, for multiple reasons. 
uh, drugs included. Right. And I was just like, I need to get as far away from these people as possible. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know. I always looked at uh, New York with rose colored glasses. I was like, that's where I want to be. I didn't even go before I moved. I just packed up and left. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And then here we are eight years later. I was just going to ask how long ago was that? So did you just find an apartment on Craigslist or something? How'd you do that? Sure did. <laughs> an apartment on Craigslist. And then we did, uh, what was it? Skype. I was like, I know it wasn't Zoom because I don't think Zoom was alive then. But we did a Skype tour of the apartment and was like, is this fine? And I was like, sure. Because I could barely see it. And I was like, yep, sounds good. And it was this tiny apartment in the West Village that only fit a mattress in it. And like maybe a little square to change. And it was $1,500 a month. And I was like, sounds great. Yeah, that that sounds about right. (laughs) But now you've sort of of moved up and you just moved into a new apartment, right? Yes, I did. I did. So, you know, previously when I was talking about um, my ex, I had put all my money down and moved us both into this apartment that was like up in the heights of Jersey City, which is not a great neighborhood, but it's like 15 minutes from the city. So it worked. Um, that he never paid any money for. So I lost all of my money in it. And then I was in like excruciating debt and almost got evicted. And really it took me the length of five years to climb out from that place. And so this apartment that I'm in now that I moved out of feels like such a breath of fresh air. I have a savings. I was able to move out of that very, very trauma inducing place. And yeah, it feels really good. Yeah, I bet. When did did you move to New York with that boyfriend or did you meet him in New York? I met him in New York. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Mm-hmm. It's always the um it's always the bad relationships that help us find our power though in my opinion. Honestly, I was thinking about it the other day. I was having a meditation and I'm really grateful for what happened. I mean, in a in a grander sense, you know, like it was terrible, awfully traumatic. Um and but I, I hold no ill will to him. I think he's very, he was a very sick person yeah. that needed, I'm sure probably still needs a lot of help. Um, and I am the type of person that needs very, 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 very drastic things to happen to me in order for me to like move my place, call that a fixed sign situation. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm kind of the same. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just need to get hit over the head sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so, for where I was for the, at the point of like where I valued myself and just cause I, I was so micro small. I needed something really devastating to happen to me in order to build up. Right. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you wrote a book though too, didn't you? I did. Well, I'm on book three now. Oh my gosh. But I'm, yeah, it's so cool. I love I love saying that. Someone um, was back visiting family, and there was like, I don't remember, it was like some sort of gathering, and this person walked up to me and was like, are you the author? And I was like, oh, ooh, am I? Oh, the <laughs> author. I, I guess so I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was really fun and flattering. But yeah, I wrote a book. For, the first one was um, Love Spells for Cosmopolitan. Which I was really grateful for because one, Cosmopolitan is an amazing magazine, uh, yeah. but they were also willing to get a real practicing witch, which I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, a rando right. that's kind of like been in a circle or like whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that book is heavy on self love and my first baby, and I adore it. Lots of fun info, but it's a spell book. Um, and then the most recent one is called Tower of Hex, which is a walkthrough of like the history of hexing, ethical hexing. I really lean on ethics and morals and how to build your own ethical code. Because yeah. um, I'm not Wiccan. I don't believe in the rule of threes. And I do yeah. believe that you can hex effectively. And I use it in my practice. Uh, but I also want to be able to empower people to build their own code of ethics and something they can be proud of and abide by. And that's going to look different for everybody. I'm curious what you consider ethical hexing to be like. It's, it's difficult to... So I, I did case by cases in this book too and just like gave random examples. Um, and I guess I'll use, I'll use the example of like an ex 
right? It is not, in my opinion, ethical to hex somebody that it didn't work out with. <laughs> yeah, totally. We've got, we've got to rise above and focus on healing. Um, yes. However, it is ethical to hex an abuser. Yes. But then you also have to think about how tied in you want to be with that abuser, how much energy you want to put in, how, like, do you want to just throw them in the freezer? Do you want to, like, you know, what what does it look like for you to continue working magic on this person? Um, and is it even available to you because if the abuse is fresh, that might be re-traumatizing. So right. it definitely goes pretty deep into, like, your own self-actualized way of hexing. Um, but also, I, I use the example of activism quite a bit in that book because mm -hmm. we are talking to about the origins of hexing and hexing has become or was used in all of these ancient practices as ways to protect against your oppressor so in my opinion using hexing against an oppressor figure whoever that might look like for you yeah. can be extremely helpful and healing yeah so it's tricky. I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. But <laughs> I definitely think there's a time and a place. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I've totally have hexed Donald Trump. But it's like you said, you know, you have to think about how much energy you want to give to someone. Because I think that if you're hexing someone that's no longer in your life, it's really hard to cut those cords because you're creating cords if you do magic on someone. So hexing someone... Absolutely it's not really serving to get them out of your energy, especially because if you're going to hex someone, then you're going to be kind of invested in seeing if it manifests. And so then you're going to continue to look at that person's life or their social media to see if your hex is even working. So it can get weird. Well, exactly. So like personally, and I am an assault survivor. And also that, that particular incident happened right before I met my ex, which again is like added into the pool of, of sadness that I was in but I would never want to hex my abuser right. because I would rather just be like, Ugh. but if my sister, for example, was dating someone who was absolutely terrible and I tried to speak with her on multiple different levels and empower her to be like making, making good decisions or whatever the, the grounded and realistic solutions looked like. And I wasn't getting anywhere hexing her partner as a way to protect her might be an option. Yeah. I like that. I like that analogy a lot. Especially I, that, cause I was like, you know, my sister, I'm going to protect her at all costs. And like, again, yeah. of course, you know, you want to, you want to do the like grounded in reality stuff first or in fandom, but you know, yeah, no, that's so true. And it is, you know, I also like what you said about if, you know, you just want to be done with someone if they've wronged you. And I think that, it's so much more powerful to take the energy that you would use trying to bring someone down who you had a falling out with. I think it's so much more powerful to, instead of doing a spell to F up that person, doing a spell to graduate yourself and to sort of evolve yourself. Plus, I don't know, good living well, I think is a better revenge than watching someone else, you know, I don't know, have their car stolen or something like that. Yes, no. Yes, I was just about to say, like, I think the best revenge is being your best self. Yep. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And, you know, that's coming from a triple Scorpio. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, as Scorpios, like, people, they always try to say that we're vindictive and we're this. And I really, I've never really felt like that. I've never felt super jealous or super possessive. I've always felt like in or out. Like I felt like I'm either, I'm either in or I'm out and I'm done with you. And sort of like, I don't hold grudges. I forget about you. Honestly, I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like we're totally pegged the wrong way all the time. I'm just like, I'm not a vindictive person. I nothing you if you're not in my life. Yes. I don't even think about you. I don't know what's talking about. And I was like, grudge holder. No, I just don't think about that person. Yeah. Like I'm, I just move on. I don't have the space. Sorry. I feel exactly. enough. Yes. <laughs> that's so true. I don't need to like bring negative vibes and I feel enough. It's exactly, that's exactly how it is. Ugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me. I feel like I could go on and on forever, but we're almost at an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we might have to do this again someday. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, I would love to. I mean, we went, we, we hit so much. I feel like, yeah, I could talk on the phone with you forever. This would be, I would love to do this again. Yes, perfect. <laughs> uh, if people want to find you or reach out to you, how should they do that? So I am at Witchy Wisdom literally everywhere. Instagram, <laughs> YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. You can find me everywhere. So uh, send me DM, reach out. I like, if you want to work with me, you can send me a DM. I answer all my DMs. So, mm -hmm. I mean, unless they're just really invasive. Yeah. But I, I judge the quality of your audience. I'm sure that all of you would be super respectful. And I can't wait to hear from you guys if you want to reach out. Awesome. I recommend, I recommend the follow if, you know, if nothing else, I at least recommend the follow for the cute, cute ass videos that you post. Yes. And there are many and there will continue to be there many. Will be more. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find me at rainbowglitterstar.com, at the Glittercast for daily horoscopes and updates on the podcast, at Rainbow Glitter Star. Be sure to check out my live stream with Sal from the Crooked Path every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. It's called Betwixt the Shadows. If you would like to book a reading, you can reach out to me on Instagram, Gmail, through my website, all that good stuff. I've got some exciting episodes coming up for you in the future, including an episode that's going to be geared toward my own personal journey and my story on how I got to where I am. So if you do have any questions about that, send them my way now. I'll probably be airing that episode in about two weeks. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm so glad to be back. Please shoot me a message and let me know that you're tuning in. I love you guys. Have a good week. 